for some reason, I did not take my baby with me to that appointment. I still, to this day, cannot figure out how that decision was made or what happened. I think I was so out of it. Once you've experienced a traumatic birth, the best you can hope for from that point on is just a birth without trauma, right? It's best to just play it safe, not to push the envelope. Or, (laughs) hey there, happy home birthers, and welcome to this week's episode of the Happy Home Birth Podcast. I'm your host, Caitlin Fusco, and this week we are speaking with Regina Lowenfield. Regina has been married to her husband, Miles, for 11 years, and she's the mother to their three precious children. Currently, the Lowenfields live in southern Indiana, where they are building an events venue on their 75 acres of land. Today, we'll hear how Regina and Miles experienced trauma, tried to cope, and then went big with their most recent birth experience. Now, before we jump in, I do want to share an important update with you all. The release of this episode coincides exactly with the five-year anniversary of this podcast, which brings a tear to my eye, and I didn't know that it would. (laughs) I am just so thrilled to look back over the last five years and to celebrate the 264 episodes that have been shared in that time. And I also want to let you know that I am now going to be going on hiatus with the podcast. I am so excited to focus my energy on a few projects that the Lord has been drawing me into over the last year, and most importantly, to spend every waking moment soaking up the beauty of my three little ones. I'm not sure if anyone's told you, but holy moly, time goes fast. And one day you wake up and your oldest is seven years old and you wonder what the heck happened. So in the meantime, before I come back, know this. I am still honored to provide you with the deepest home birth, childbirth education through the Home Birth Collective or Happy Home Birth Academy, both of which are self-paced and accessible in the show notes at myhappyhomebirth.com or through my Instagram bio. And I'm not going to be checking in on Instagram or Facebook often. So if you need anything, the best way to reach me is at hello at myhappyhomebirth.com. And if this podcast has meant something to you, would you mind taking a moment now to leave a review? That would mean so much to me. Okay, I'll have a few more words at the end, but let's jump into this incredible story for the last time for a little while. Please remember that the opinions of my guest may not necessarily reflect my own and vice versa. And the show is not medical advice. It's an educational tool. So continue to take empowered responsibility for your health and your family. Thank you for having me. Regina, thank you so much for coming on the Happy Home Birth Podcast. Hi, it's good to be here. Oh, I'm so excited to have you. And I am so excited for the story that you are about to tell. Now, previously, I will just let the listeners know I have already heard this story from Regina and her husband, Miles, and it was absolutely incredible. And unfortunately, the audio just did not work at all. So we are re-recording. It's just Regina this time. We miss you, Miles. You were so fantastic. But Regina, I am so excited to have you on and for you to share this story. Would you mind taking just a moment to introduce yourself and your family to the listeners? 
Yeah, so I'm Regina Lowenfield. Um, I'm a homemaker from Southern Indiana. Uh, Miles and I have been married for 12 years and we have three children. Um, we homestead, homeschool, home birth, big fans of home things around here. Um, and we're in the process of opening up Sycamore Hollow weddings and events on our 75 acres. So that's a little bit of what we're doing. Ugh, that is so incredible. I bet it's just absolutely gorgeous. It sounds amazing. It's lovely. <laughs> so let's let's talk about how all of this happened. You do all things home at this point. Is that what it was like at the beginning of your uh, marriage and then your first pregnancy? That is not at all what it was like. Um, so we had a very um, conventional beginning. Uh, my husband uh, worked in the car business and um, we, uh, when we got married, um, we wanted to start our family fairly quickly. Um, and so we got pregnant within, uh, it was less than a year uh, after we were married. And when we got pregnant, we just, we, we, I got an OB and just, that's all I knew to do. Um, and that was the path that we were on. Um, so, uh, yeah, very, I feel like typical for modern America, um, just doctor visits. And, um, so that's how we started. That's, that is so fun to hear since you changed so much. I'll be very excited for the listeners to hear how this um, kind of evolution of the family happened. So, yeah. all right. At the beginning, you started with this traditional OB. What was that first pregnancy like for you? Yeah, it was, um, it was great. I, our, my first pregnancy, I loved being pregnant. I had some morning sickness in the first trimester, but it was... Um, it was kind of comforting and it kind of felt like, um, my, like, uh, I guess I never, I, I, it never felt like a negative thing. It felt like a positive thing. Like this is my initiation into motherhood, you know? Um, and I really enjoyed it. Um, but sometime in the middle of my, to the end of my first trimester, uh, when we were starting to tell people that we were pregnant, we were at a, our small group uh, with our church, and some of the women there uh, were asking me about what kind of care I had established. And so um, they started talking to me about this midwifery group that um, was at a hospital nearby, and they uh, just really encouraged me to check them out because a multiple women in our small group had had babies through that midwifery group. So this is kind of the first time that I'm even considering or thinking natural birth. I, I had no idea that that was something that I should want. Um, and so um, in that process, we also watched the business of being born. Um, and that kind of started getting some wheels turning. And then, um, we did end up switching care and, uh, switched over to the midwifery group and we did a Bradley method class and we started getting really excited about, uh, having this natural delivery. Um, but it was still in a hospital setting. And at that time I had, no clue that um, 
there's a big difference between a home birth midwife and your chances of having a natural delivery um, and a hospital midwife and your chances of having a natural delivery. Um, so, uh, but we were excited. We didn't know any of this at that time. We were not uh, that educated. Um, and so when the time came, we had hired a doula. I had decided I'm going to labor at home as long as possible before transferring. But we had like a 20 minute drive, which is not that far, um, unless you're stuck in rush hour traffic, which we were. Um, so then it, it uh, feels really long when you're in labor and you have to drive 20 minutes in rush hour traffic. Um, but yeah, so my first, the, the pregnancy itself went, went really well. And I was super excited about, I got really excited about labor and delivery um, by the end of it. Yeah. I, and, and it is amazing that you were able to be exposed to these ideas before even having your first birth. Like, mm -hmm. obviously there is, it, there is change, but you already had some of these ideas of some of the benefits of a more unmedicated or natural approach in your mind. And it, it seems like that was what you were aiming for with your care. Yes. Yeah. It definitely switched to that. Once I started becoming aware that there, you know, there's a difference and that there's options. I think initially I just didn't even know that there were options. It felt like, well, this is what you do. Exactly. Um, so that's what we did. <laughs> that makes so much sense. So, okay, let's hear. So you, we know that you did get stuck in <laughs> rush hour traffic, but before that happened, what was it like going into labor that first time? Yeah. So, um, this is kind of actually like looking back where I feel like, um, man, if I would have known what I know now, uh, <laughs> uh, maybe I could have prevented where this ended up. But, um, I got to 40, uh, 40 weeks in a couple days and I had a checkup and, they um, started talking to me about induction because if I want to deliver with the midwives, I have to deliver before 42 weeks at the hospital. And so they, um, yeah, they started talking about inducing and um, feeling some pressure, uh, but my body wasn't ready. I mean, I had no signs of labor. Um, and so we agreed then to schedule an induction. Uh, they were going to try like natural methods, balloon, catheter, things like that first. Um, but we, we did schedule that for right before 42 weeks. And um, at that appointment, the midwife said, you know, I could also do a membrane sweep today and something might happen and nothing might happen. It you know, just if your body is ready, then maybe it'll kickstart it for you. Um, and so I, uh, that was the first time I'd ever heard of a membrane sweep. Uh, but I was like, okay, yeah, like I, I would rather not end up on Pitocin. I knew enough to not want that. And so um, I consented to a membrane sweep that day um, with the induction on the calendar if I didn't go into labor before that induction was scheduled, then we would go in for an induction. Um, and uh, that membrane sweep did start my labor, but it was so slow and it just took so long. So that was on a Wednesday um, 
morning, like mid morning when she swept my membranes and I had my first contraction where I was like, that was more than Braxton Hicks um, that afternoon. So Wednesday afternoon around like one o'clock was my first contraction. And then it was contractions every 15 minutes for the next 24 hours. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I hardly slept that night because first time mom, I was so excited. And I was thinking, when is this going to pick up? And I did lose my mucus plug that night, which was super exciting. So it was like, okay, things are happening. Um, But it was just, you know, 24 hours of that. So by the next day, Thursday around noon is uh, when things actually started picking up. And I was like, okay, we're like, we're in active labor now. And it was, it was getting intense and, and things were a lot closer together. Um, and I called my doula and she came and we labored until about 4 PM. And then we, and then she said, okay, I think, I think it's time to transfer to the hospital. Um, and so then we got stuck in rush hour traffic. And up until that point, I had been managing my labor really well. Like I felt like the contractions, I was able to, I was able to stay in my zone and work through them. And it, and it felt, um, it felt really good. I was really excited about what was coming. Um, but on the way to the hospital, I think the anxiety and the adrenaline of making that change of, of moving locations and then also being stuck in traffic. Um, I just lost the control of, of being on top of those contractions. So by the time we got to the hospital, I was miserable and I was like, I like, can't do this, um, for much longer. Um, and I thought for sure that I was going to be checked in and it was going to be like, you're six centimeters. Um, and I checked in and they were like, you're like three, maybe. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> um, which they didn't really give me much choice about being checked at that time. So, so that's another thing that I didn't know that I really had options on. And, and I felt like that is the like tell in labor, like, you know, I, I just, I had a lot of weight was on how many centimeters am I dilated, which now um, with my latest birth, that was not as much of an issue, like not as much of a thing in my mind. Um, but at that time that was a big deal. And so, so that was really discouraging hearing that number. Um, but we kept laboring there. They, uh, you know, of course, immediately want to put a monitor on and they want to um, put an IV port in, which I have a needle phobia. So that was just another thing that was taking up mental space for me. And I just felt like it was so hard to get back into a zone um, after having been checked into the hospital. I just I lost it from from the transfer from going from home to the hospital somewhere in between there, my, my mental space just shifted and I was not inward anymore. And it, and it really affected the rest of, of my labor. Mm. Yeah. So how did that, how did it affect it? What did you notice and how did that unfold? 
Yeah. So I was not able to um, relax through my contractions. So eventually, because I was at the hospital, the nurses started getting uncomfortable with how noisy I was being and how long it was taking. And so they suggested an epidural because then you can rest, especially because they found out, you know, I hadn't really slept the night before, which I think their intention was was kind and good. Um, but um, they ended up checking me at some point and telling me that I was, I think it was around 9 p.m. They checked me and said, you know, you're stuck at a five. You're stuck at five centimeters. Your cervix is swollen. If you don't figure out how to relax, you're not going to keep dilating. And so we would highly suggest getting an epidural so that um, your body can relax and you can continue dilating and we can get this your baby here for you. And so by that time I was really exhausted and the epidural sounded very nice to me. I just, I wanted relief. I had tons of back labor. So I, um, I just felt like every bone in my back was breaking every contraction and I was, I was exhausted from it. And so, uh, I got the epidural and then it only worked on half of my body. <laughs> and so Ooh. then they were turning me and we were trying to get that all sorted and figured out. Eventually they ended up coming in and redoing it entirely. So they took the original one out, put a new one in. Um, and then I rested um, after that was working properly. So, I rested until about 2 a.m. And then they said, okay, do you want to do some practice pushes? And I said, I would love to. I wasn't able to sleep even though <laughs> I wasn't in pain. I just was excited, you know. Mm -hmm. And so um, I figured if I can do this, let's do it now. And then I can rest after the baby's here. Mm -hmm. um, so I did some practice pushing and they were like, yeah, I think you're making some progress. So let's, let's, let's do this. Let's start, you know actively pushing. So I pushed for three hours and, um, I made not much progress at all. I mean, we could see the like top of the baby's head. Um, and that, but that's just, that's all it, it ne like we never progressed to crowning or anything like that. We never got under the pubic bone, but I had no feeling at all. And I didn't realize that you could request the epidural to be turned down. I didn't know there was such a thing as turning down the epidural. I So I had zero feeling. I couldn't feel any pressure from where the nurses were touching to tell me, you know, push here. I, I couldn't feel anything. So obviously my pushing was very ineffective. Um, and so by, so we pushed for like three hours and then they said, okay, let's take a break. Um, and and why don't you rest for an hour and then we'll we'll try again. So I rested and then then we tried again and still we pushed for a couple more hours and there was still no progress. I could not get the feeling. I I just couldn't get her under the pubic bone. And so they and of course I'm laying on my back and they won't let me try any new positions because I have an epidural. Um and so 
they said my, my midwife came in then and she said, um, I think that we need to start talking about a C-section. And I was so devastated. I was like, no way. I do not. That is no, no, that's not an option. Um, and she just was like, I just, I think that, you know, we're getting to the point where it might be best. Um, and this was another thing that I forgot to mention earlier with um, the hospital. So the midwifery group, I didn't get to choose like a midwife. So we just, you just had to take who was on call. And I liked, there were three midwives and I got along with two of them and the other one, we just didn't click. It wasn't that we were at, in animosity or anything, but we just didn't like click. And of course she was the one that was on call. <laughs> so there was just so many things that were um, kind of working against me in, in that situation. But so I didn't want to hear from her that she thought that I wanted a C-section. If it would have been one of the other midwives, I probably would have been more open-hearted towards them. But I just felt like you and I don't have a relationship anyways. And now you're telling me, you know, to do this. So, um, but eventually after we talked about it and we prayed about it, um, we had, we decided that we were going to go ahead with just doing a C-section because I, I was very exhausted and I had you know pushed for five hours at this point already and uh, it wasn't happening. So um, we got on the, the wait list for the OR and while we were waiting, my body starts pushing on its own. And this time I felt it. I was like, whoa, something different is happening. Like something is strong and powerful inside of me. And so um, I called the nurse in and she was like, okay, well, while we're waiting for the OR, let's just try to push for a little bit, see what mm -hmm. happens. And so we started pushing and it felt like I was making a little bit of progress. Um, we like we had more of the rocking back and forth with the head coming out a little bit and then rocking back in. So it started feeling exciting, like this is going to happen. And then all of a sudden, baby's heart rate just plummets. And it was this massive deceleration that just was really, really scary for the oh, for the team in the room that the the nurses and they were like stop pushing like don't do that whatever you do don't put don't push with your body um that was not okay what just happened and so then it was a mad dash to the OR from there um and by that time she was lodged like her head was lodged and um and my body was involuntarily pushing even though I wasn't helping and so it was um, it was like one of those really dramatic movie scenes that I had kind of come to realize are not like that's not the typical way that birth happens. Up until that point, I had thought it, it did. And then we educated ourselves throughout this pregnancy and we were like, that's not how birth happens. Mm -hmm. Birth is beautiful and it can be natural. And then all of a sudden I'm in this situation where it's drama and it was chaos. And, and, um, when we went to the OR, my husband walked in and, and he got nauseous. Um, and so he had to go back out and the nurse gave him orange juice and put his head between his knees. And so I'm, I was in there by myself and, um, 
and the anesthesiologist was trying to get that all prepped so that the doctor could come in. And, um, and I was just like kind of hysterical and he threatened to put me just out. He was like, if you don't get it together, I'm putting you out. (laughs) Um, but that was enough to get me to like, Ooh, okay. Uh, I can do this. I said, just give me a minute and I will be okay. Um, and so, uh, they started the surgery and, um, and I felt when they, they had to go in through my vagina to push her head up in order to help birth her out of the incision. And, um, so I felt all of that. I felt them put her on my belly and, but the room went silent. And obviously this is my first birth. I don't know what to expect. I hadn't been prepared for a C-section. I didn't know what to expect from a C-section either. Um, but it was really quiet. And so then I, I was waiting. My husband's still not in the room. Um, and so finally I asked, and then there was a lot of movement. People were moving everywhere. And so I, I asked, um, so it has, is my, has my baby been born? And, uh, and no one answered me. And I was like, what is going on? And I started feeling this panic rising inside of me. And I was like, is she here? And like, no one answers and nurses are running in and out of the room. And, um, at that, so now in hindsight, I, I know that, uh, the nurses that were running in and out of the room, they were running to get a, uh, something for resuscitation. Um, uh, they, they were needing a breathing machine or something because when my husband was in the hallway and so a nurse came out and yelled down the hallway for this machine that she needed. And then she ran back inside and then my husband realized something is going on. Um, and so he got it together and, and stood up and came in. And around that same time, I just, we had already named her. We knew we were having a girl and we had named her Adeline and we already knew that we were going to call her Addie. And that's what we had, you know, how we talked to her throughout the pregnancy. And so I just started uh, calling her name. I was just, it was just this instinct inside of me. I just started saying, Addie, Addie, mommy's here. It's okay. Addie. Sorry. (laughs) Um. And uh, she cried. She cried when she heard me calling for her. And um, we learned then that she had been alive for like two minutes without being, without breathing. And she, I think it was just uh, the, sh- the, the shock of, of everything, all the pushing and then the, the birth. And she had just kind of, I don't know if she had given up or if she was just in shock, but um, yeah, so very traumatic, very traumatic first birth experience. Um, she bounced back within, uh, by her second APGAR, she had an APGAR of nine. Her first APGAR was like yeah. a, a two, I think. Um, and, um, but she, she bounced back really quickly. Um, and, and, they still didn't let me have her for like two hours. I think I didn't get to hold her for two hours after she was born. Um, why? I mean, yeah. my question there is like, why? 
Right? Doesn't I mean, obviously what she needs mm-hmm. is her mommy, right? Mm-hmm. That's what the babies need when they're born is yep. their mamas. Yep. Um, so, yeah. Wow. That's how that birth went. <laughs> yes. And so after that that experience, which was just, I mean, what a roller coaster and the difficulty of that. But also, Regina, just the beauty of the fact that your voice was the thing that, you know, snapped her awake is just beyond. I mean, yeah, I'm getting emotional, (laughs) but I mean, it's, that's incredible. But after all of this, how did you process that? And how did that impact you moving into your next birthing experience? Yeah. So postpartum was really, really hard. I have never wanted to do anything except be a mom. And so I had been looking forward to being a mom and, um, and I had no idea, um, how hard it could be. Um, and so with all the birth trauma and, um, and all the medication that had been administered to me and, and, and all of that, my postpartum recovery was, uh, was another, like, it was also trauma. Um, so when we came home from the hospital with her, um, nursing was really difficult. I was experiencing a lot of demer, um, which is dysphoric milk ejection reflex, um, I would get extremely nauseous with nursing uh, to the point where I I couldn't keep any food down. I could barely keep any drinks down. And so um, by 11 days, when she was 11 days old, I think, um, my husband took me back to the midwives and he said, something is wrong with my wife. (laughs) Um, she's not eating, she's not drinking and she's not okay. And so they, um, checked me out and they actually sent me to the hospital and I got admitted to the hospital for IV fluids. Um, and for some reason I did not take my baby with me to that appointment. I still to this day cannot figure out how that decision was made or what happened I think I was so out of it mm-hmm. and Miles was so desperate. He just was like, we have, my mother-in-law was there. So he was like, my mom can watch the baby for an hour while I take her to her appointment and then we'll be back. I think that's just, you know, he was just concerned for me and yeah. I was not even thinking for myself at that point. And so when we got checked into the hospital, I kind of all of a sudden realized I don't have my, I don't have my baby. (laughs) Uh, She's not going to, she's not here. I can't nurse her. And I kind of went hysterical. Um, And um, the nurse there started talking to me about postpartum depression and, um, and just was telling Miles, like, I think that you need to be really aware of this for her. It seems like this might be something that's going to be impact like going to impact you guys. And so, so yeah, so my postpartum, I ended up having postpartum depression and demer. I only nursed for three weeks and I gave up on that. Um, when I stopped nursing, there was a relief and a grief. Um, I never, 
imagined not nursing my babies. Um, but there was a relief of just like the, cause the demur had been so intense. Um, I was able to finally eat and, and then I was able to sleep and then I finally bonded with my baby and it was so special and I felt so good. And I was able to kind of let that part of, of my postpartum go the the nursing part of it. Um, and really see the beauty of just being able to, to bond in a clear and mental state. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, so yeah, postpartum was hard, but once we got over that hump, like after that first month, I, I really thrived in my motherhood and it was everything that I had always imagined that it would be. And it was so exciting. So we started thinking about our next one when she was two years old, um, or around two, um, and then got pregnant pretty easily. Um, I think it took a couple months and we got pregnant and, and, uh, yeah, we were excited. I felt great. The, that first, um, trimester, I had like a couple weeks of morning sickness, uh, but it was nothing like dramatic. I, I, I felt like I was glowing and I, I just, I had all the, the good, all the good things mm. from pregnancy. Um, and mm. we, I had wanted a VBAC. And so I, I looked around at that time we were living in El Paso, Texas. And, um, the, the only VBAC friendly hospital that I could find, um, had midwives again. And so I thought, okay, like maybe, you know, we're going to try this, but in order to get an appointment with the midwives, you had to have an appointment with an OB first. They had to give the okay for the VBAC. So they didn't okay every situation. And, um, the OB that I met with was, um, very intimidating. He said, um, that there's a good chance that you'll have a rupture if you try a VBAC because my incision, um, apparently is a little wider than what would be normal because of kind of the trauma of the first, um, birth. And so he just, and so I, I questioned him a little bit. I was like, like, so what would happen if I would rupture? And if I was at the hospital, like, would I die? Would my baby die? Like, how would we know that I was rupturing? You know? And he just was like, yeah, you know, you know, you could, you could die. Your baby could die. And I was like, Oh, that's so scary. Why would I like want to risk that? And so I didn't do very much research. I kind of ended up taking him for his word, even though I was really disappointed to hear that from him. But after talking to Miles, he was like, we're not like, we're not doing trauma again. Like that's, that's out of the question this time around. So the theme for that pregnancy and my second pregnancy became just avoid trauma. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's like, we're just going to avoid trauma at all costs. Um, And so that's how we moved forward in that pregnancy. And my husband would say, he would want to interject here and say, if your goal for your, uh, like birth 
is a, is just a healthy baby, then you need to aim higher. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's a low aim. <laughs> like you, like yes, it's it's a it's a goal, but like it, it you can be better than that. <laughs> so yeah. yeah. Um, so anyways, but at the time, at that time, it was certainly you know that trauma was still fresh. You know yes. that had been two years fresh trauma. And at that point, I can totally understand this idea of, all right, let's just avoid it. We're not going there again. We're going to go the safest route that we can find, which we believe in this moment after speaking to this care provider is just a repeat cesarean. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it did. It felt like that was, that was the safe option, uh, mm-hmm. which I also have thoughts on that now. Um, but <laughs> for right now in this story, yeah. that is where we were at. It was the safest option in our mind. Um, and is that how that unfolded? Yeah, it just, it, everything went, I mean, we we picked a day close to the due date and um, and then we went in at, at uh, five o'clock in the morning, I think, and they prepped me for the OR and we had a baby um, mm-hmm. and it was great. I had had a shower and I had my makeup done and I, uh, he, he was born screaming, which was so like relieving yeah. and, and such a blessing. Um, and my husband was fine. He didn't pass out in the OR this time. <laughs> so uh, they, they wrapped him, they wrapped up our son and handed him to Miles and, and Miles held him next to my face while they finished up and then they moved us over to post-op and and I got to hold him and nurse him right away and I was just in heaven like I could not believe how like that he was here and it was like not traumatic and everything thankfully did go very smoothly there were no complications with my um surgery or anything like that. Um, and I bonded immediately. Um, and so, and then, so we stayed overnight at the hospital, I think, and then they let us go home. And I felt so different going home this time than I did the time before that. Like I was, uh, was not so exhausted. Um, I was not in so much pain uh, because last the first time I was like recovering from like half of a vaginal delivery and a C-section and it was just a lot for my body. Um, so then around five days postpartum, I started experiencing Demer again and I was devastated. I was like, this cannot be happening to me again. Um, and so that kind of fed, I think my postpartum depression. Um, and by the time he was a couple weeks old, I just knew that if I kept going on this path that I was going to end up in the hospital on fluids again. And so I quit nursing and allowed my body to recover and, and it did. And it, went well. Um, but I really grieved. I really grieved that, um, just not getting to nurse again, Mm -hmm. but everything else went really well. Besides I did take uh, medication for postpartum depression for six months. Um, and I feel like that was 
very, very helpful in that season. I needed that. Um, my husband was really busy at work and was just not available to me. He was not present. Um, so I was doing toddler and newborn by myself. Um, and, um, and it was a lot, but, but I, I loved it. I felt like I was flourishing in my motherhood. Um, so yeah, so that, that second one went, I mean, there's not a lot of drama there. There's not a lot to talk about. (laughs) Right. I mean, it's, it, it was what, you know, it was what you expected it to be. And I think that from coming from what you had experienced, that ability to have that expectation met was kind of just what you were looking for. Like it was like you and you said that Miles would say, like, we realize now, like, okay, we can actually aim higher. But at this point, it's like, all right, we didn't have a traumatic birth. Check. Like, we're good. It felt very successful. Yeah. Yes. And, and, and thank goodness for that. And I'm really curious though, because things changed. So I would, I'd love to hear how things changed because birth number three was totally different from birth number two and birth number one. So what happened? Yeah. So, well, I mean, I feel like COVID happened, you know, like everybody got really, or we did, I don't know. I feel like a lot of people that I've talked to got really introspective during that time. And we all started questioning everything that we thought we knew. Um, And so baby number three was always something that we had talked about, but just the timing never felt right. Um, We had a lot of like job shift happening and then we had a a big move um, across the country. And so um, we just, we just didn't ever really know if or when it was going to happen. And then COVID came around and we found ourselves on 75 acres in Southern Indiana. And, um, and I just started kind of feeling like I might want another baby. So at this point, five years had passed between our son being born um, and, and where we were at then. And so we're like, well, this is going to be a big age gap. Like, are we sure we still like, are, do we just want to do the two? We're starting a business as well. So, you know, we're busy. Um, but I, we just, after praying, we were like, no, you know, children are a blessing. And, um, and we, we think we want to do this. So we started trying. Um, and in that process, I started doing tons of research and I was like, what? Um, you know, what is, what is the truth about birth? Um, is the VBAC after two C-sections possible? And what are the statistics for that? And are there any midwives, um, who would do that for me? And, and, uh, could I do a home birth? And I had a sister who was planning a home birth and, um, largely because of my story and, Um, and then my research and then my desire to, I was like, if I would ever have a third child, I would try a home birth after, even after having two C-sections. So this is kind of where, what my, um, research had led me to that our bodies are so able as women. Like, I think that we, 
the medical system has done a really good job of making us insecure about what our bodies are able to do. Um, and I think that we get, we can get really reliant on like, what is, what are they telling me is possible for me instead of, um, I think as a Christian, uh, as a believer, one of the big things that was being highlighted to me was what does God say about me? Um, and what has he created me for? And what is the intuition that he has given me? And so, uh, so I really started just like kind of closing my ears, so to speak, to uh, the noise of, of the world and kind of focusing inward, like, where's my peace and what does the Lord say is good and right for our family? Um, so we early on, uh, after we started trying, had come to the conclusion that home birth is what we wanted. Um, that as the least amount of interventions as possible is what we wanted. Um, and, um, and we were pretty prepared. We did our research. We did find out that in Indiana, the midwives are not allowed to do home birth VBACs without the approval of an OB. And then they for sure will never get the okay with a VBAC after two C-sections. So some people... Some OBs will okay a like you know a, v, a single V back, but they will not okay a double. And so, luckily, we live close to the Kentucky state line. And I had been listening to your podcast. Um, I forget. I think through social media somehow someone had posted one of the episodes, and I started listening. And uh, and I just I listened to so many episodes and. And it was so good because you just get these little nuggets from everyone's story and it's so encouraging and I just love it. But uh, one of the episodes, the one of the women was talking about how she traveled to get her home birth. Um, and I was like, oh, hmm, okay. Well, maybe Kentucky has different laws than Indiana. Um, and so we started looking into that. And they do actually have different laws than Indiana does. And, uh, but the midwives there are still pretty hesitant. Um, and so I called a lot of midwives. I ended up finding one who was like, I will have an appointment with you when you get pregnant. I hadn't, but I wasn't pregnant at that time yet. She's like, when you get pregnant, reach back out to me and I'm willing to meet with you. And I was like, okay. <laughs> um, so a year passed and we were not pregnant still. And so then we were like, what is going on? Um, we did not expect it to take so long. Um, and I got some testing done. My husband got some testing done and everything came back normal. And so we were like, okay, I guess we'll just keep waiting um, and then we got close. So it was like October, I think of 20, 2022. Yes. Last year, October of last mm -hmm. year. Um, 
we had a conversation and we just decided that if we weren't pregnant by January, we were just going to take this as not meant to be. Like we're supposed to have these two kids and uh, focus on our business and we're not going to, we're going to stop pursuing a third child. Um, And so, and I really just kind of resigned. I thought that was it. Like I, I had no expectation of actually becoming pregnant because at that point we had been trying for almost two years. And so, um, surprise, surprise in November, we (laughs) found out we were pregnant. Um, and so that was really exciting. And we, um, called that, called that midwife and we were like, okay, we're pregnant and we want that meeting with you. Um, so we had a meeting with her almost immediately, like just, I think I was like six weeks along or something. And, um, and she, um, met with us and after talking with us, she was like, I can tell that you've done your research. And if you've, you know, if this is what you want to do, I'm willing to support you. You will have to come to Kentucky because she she was like, I can't come to Indiana. You have to come to Kentucky. So then, so we thought through that. And we got an Airbnb and um, and just kind of, yeah, started preparing. And I so I told her I would like my first official like prenatal appointment with her to be in January after the holidays and stuff. So, so it would have been around 12 weeks, I think when we scheduled my first prenatal appointment. Um, and yeah, so that's kind of how that started. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. How incredible it was like, I just, we just had to be firm with our baby that now is the time. (laughs) So funny. Yeah. Because now it's like, we were, when I found out that I was pregnant, when I took that positive pregnancy test, I honestly, my first feeling was like, why did I want this? Because there's a seven year age gap between our son and this baby. I was like, what was I thinking? Like, this is, I'm starting over completely. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm not even in toddler stage anymore. Um, yeah. And I just kind of had this uh-oh moment, uh, but it was immediately followed with excitement and joy, you know, but, but there was that moment of like, wait a minute, <laughs> why did I want this? <laughs> um, but yeah. So once we got past all that and my husband felt the same way, he was like, whoa, we're really doing this. <laughs> and I think also we had just kind of decided like, it's not going to happen. Right. Yeah. I mean, you had been attempting this for quite some time. The fact that it hadn't happened, you've got two months to go before you are officially at your own cutoff. And uh, here we go. <laughs> let's, yeah. let's get started. Yeah, that's so interesting. So, okay. So you have your first appointment with your midwife. How does the rest of the pregnancy unfold? Yeah. So we scheduled that first prenatal for January. Um, and we went to Florida for Christmas with my side of the family. Um, and we had just told everyone that we were pregnant and everyone was shocked. Like, whoa, like six years later, you're having another baby. Um, yes. So, uh, that was exciting, um, to, to, you know, tell everyone. And then on Christmas day, while we were in Florida, 
uh, we had just finished up having dinner <clears throat> with my whole family. And I was walking from my parents' condo back to our condo. And I peed my pants. I felt like I peed my pants. And I was like, well, this has never happened to me before. And that's embarrassing. And if this if this is happening this early in this pregnancy, like, oh my gosh, like how's the rest of this pregnancy going? Um, and so when I got back to our our condo, I went to the bathroom and I was bleeding. Um, and that was just shocking. Um, it was not just a little bit of blood. It was a lot. Um, and I immediately got the hus- my husband's attention. I was like, Miles, without getting my kids' attention, because I didn't want them. I, I just, yeah, we didn't want them to know that something was going on. Um, and then... He came in and he just like he I didn't even say anything. I just like showed him and he just like collapsed and started weeping. And we were like, just what do we do? What do we do? <laughs> um, so my sister is an, uh, a labor and delivery nurse and she was there. Um, so he went over to their condo and got her and said, hey, we need you. Uh, over here. And so I asked her, like, what do I do? And she said, and she had had crazy story. She had had a miscarriage in Florida in that same condo the year before on Christmas. So this is like full circle trauma for her mm-hmm. walking in on me, um, having this issue going. And, um, she just said, call your midwife. Um, I was like, oh, yeah, I probably should call my midwife. <laughs> uh, so I called her and she said, go to the ER. We FaceTimed and she saw how much it was happening. And she was like, I would just feel a lot more comfortable if you went to the ER and just you know, got an ultrasound. So we had decided that we were doing zero ultrasounds this pregnancy. Um, and so this is how we're starting off is go have an ultrasound. Um, so I'm grateful. Like, I think something that can happen pretty easily when you're, or when, or that kind of happened to me at a certain point, um, when we've went into this like more natural minded, crunchy home life as, um, can really like throw off everything conventional and it kind of feels like it's all bad. All Mm -hmm. conventional is bad. Um, But this was kind of a wake up call for me to realize like there's good things when they're necessary. Right. Right. The dogma is what can be so scary is like having this dogma of all of it is bad all the time, you know, from both sides really. But right. yes, being able to have that balance of, okay, these are the tools that I have available when I need them, and I can pick and choose what they are when they are. Yes. So we were very grateful for ultrasound at this point. Um, we, My sister was like, she just said, you're having a miscarriage, and I'm so, so sorry. And she was just, you know, weeping. And so she went and told the rest of my family, and they all started praying for us. And- 
Um, but everyone had already decided that this was a miscarriage. And on the way to the hospital, Miles and I just felt so strongly that we were supposed to pray for life and declare life over my womb. And so it was a three-minute drive, not that far, uh, but we just started praying life and declaring life over my womb and got to the hospital. It's Christmas, so nothing else is open. So the... (laughs) The type of people that are in the emergency room on Christmas Day is it's an adventure. I mean, everyone is there because they have nowhere else to go. Um, so we were we had a lot of waiting to do that night um, and it took a long, long time. It was very traumatic. It was very, um, I guess, confirming of why I didn't want another hospital birth (laughs) because there were so many protocol things like, well, this is protocol, this is protocol, well, that's protocol. And so it just uh, became exhausting to hear the word protocol um, and very confirming of why I didn't want to give birth at the hospital. Um, Long story short, they ended up finding a heartbeat and they diagnosed me with a subchorionic hematoma which I had never heard of before in my life. But I Googled that as soon as I heard it. And I was like, what is this? And what are we dealing with? Uh, and I called my midwife and she, she said, you know, okay, well, we'll just, when you get back from your vacation, she, she put me on bed rest for the vacation, said, don't do any more walking than just to the beach chair, but sit on the beach and enjoy the sun, but don't go on long walks or, or anything like that. And so took it easy, got back had an appointment with her. Um, I was pretty scared. The diagnosis of a subchorionic subchorionic hematoma sounded really scary to me because from what I understood, it was that part of my placenta had detached from my uterine wall. And then that builds up this bubble of blood. But hearing that your placenta has detached partially from your uterine wall is very scary. I'm like, is my baby getting the nutrients that it needs to grow? Like it was just a very scary thought for me. Um, And so the midwives did their own ultrasound and plot twist. I don't have a subchorionic hematoma at all. I have complete placenta previa. (laughs) So now we're like really, I guess at the mercy of my body, whether or not this can be a vaginal delivery, um, which was oddly like very um, comforting to me because my prayer was, Lord, if this VBAC is unsafe, make it impossible. And so it just felt to me like if my placenta stays previa, this is the Lord's way of protecting me and this child. Um, and so there was there was a measure of comfort and nothing was wrong with my placenta. So that made me feel really good. Like as far as like it wasn't detaching or anything random like that. I felt like my baby's getting the nutrients it needs to grow. And um, and this is just the Lord's way of, of possibly protecting me. Um so yeah, otherwise the pregnancy, like I, I wasn't that, I had some morning sickness and then I did homeopathy, which is also something I learned about from listening to one of your episodes. Um, and so I uh, have a homeopath and I called her, I said, I'm having some morning sickness. And she said, here, take this. And I took 
two doses of it. And then I was like, I had no more morning sickness ever again after that, my entire pregnancy. Yeah. Uh, so that China was pretty awesome. Was mine. China was my, my remedy this time around. Mine was sepia. Ah, um, nice. Which then also was what we used for the placenta for the previa. Um, how cool is that? Yes. I mean, like, how cool is that, that it was like, that's part of the picture. Yes, it was. So and she was like, whoa, this is what we chose for your, you know, mm-hmm. morning sickness. And it's just like my body was already calling for it. Yeah. Um so, wow. so yeah, we, uh, got things lined up with the Airbnb. We got a doula. We, um, had some, had our appointments with the midwives. We were able to decline everything, um, except for we had to do a couple of ultrasounds to make sure that, you know, to check on the previa. Um, but we decided this time around, we were not going to find out gender. We wanted to be surprised at the birth. Um, and, um, so, so yeah, everything went well. I thought for sure I was going to have my baby at 41 or 42 weeks. I I was certain I was going to go over 41 weeks. I was not at all, um, expecting to have a baby before that. Um, and as time came closer, we got our Airbnb so that we had it, we got to check in, um, at 39 weeks and we had it booked until 43 weeks. So had like a, we had it for a month kind of like, I thought 41 weeks is right in the middle. That's where this baby's going to come. That is not when the baby came. Um, but I did, (laughs) um, we don't get to choose these things. Um, but yeah, so everything leading up went really well. We so when we got to thirty-two or thirty-three weeks, thirty-three weeks, we rechecked my placenta, and it had moved not just the two centimeters that was required; it had moved seven centimeters. And I credit a lot of that to doing the homeopathy. Um, and so I felt really relieved, and I was like, okay we're doing this. Like mm-hmm. I finally, once we got that, it had moved up until that point. I was like, I don't know, am I going to end up with a C-section again? And I had peace with that if, because I, because I had been praying, you know, if it, if it's not safe, then make it impossible. Um, mm-hmm. so once we realized that it had moved, I was like, okay, so this is the Lord saying this is going to happen. And I, and I really started preparing mentally and emotionally for, for birth. And I was so super excited because I had learned all about physiological labor and I was really looking forward to just following my body. Um, and my midwife was so on board. She was just like, I will be there. I will be as involved or uninvolved as you want me to be. Um, and uh, very respectful. Mm. Let's hear how that unfolded. How, when did you actually go into labor and how did it happen? So I had a dream early on in my pregnancy that the baby was going to be born on July 7th. 
And then um, July 7th came and I was not in labor at all. And I went to bed and I was like, that's, you know, it's fine. I, I, that was only 40 weeks anyways, um, or it was 39 and 39 and six or something. Um, and so went to bed, but then at midnight I woke up and I went to the bathroom and I had lost part of my mucus plug. And I was like, very interesting. Um, and then I had just some cramping throughout the night, nothing really intense. So that was a Friday night. Um, so it was by Saturday morning at 6am, I woke up miles and I said, Hey, I think that we should wrap things up here at home, make plans to go to the Airbnb and, uh, which was in Louisville, Kentucky. And I said, let's just spend the day walking around and taking the kids. We took them to the science center. Um, and, um, just be nearby the birthing space in case something picks up. Um, so Saturday, that's what we did. And, um, all throughout the day I was having, um, having contractions, but they were not consistent. Sometimes they were 15, sometimes 20. It was a little more than Braxton Hicks, very much still early labor, but I was losing bits of my mucus plug all throughout the day. Um, very tired. So after the science center, we went back to the Airbnb and I said, I'm going to take a nap and, uh, and then we'll decide if we want to go home or not. Um, also my sister was going to be coming from Florida on Monday to be here so that when I go in labor, she can be at my birth with me. Um, and I was thinking, Hmm, should I call her and tell her maybe she should try to get on an earlier flight or, or not? Um, and I decided, no, this, this is, this was not picking up. So by Saturday afternoon, I told, um, told Miles, I think I just want to go home. Nothing has really changed. Nothing is happening. It's only 40 weeks anyways. Um, it's probably going to be another week before this baby comes. And so he though, in his wisdom said, why don't we just stay for the night um, since we're here already and everything is settled at home? And if nothing has changed by tomorrow morning, Sunday morning, then we'll go home. So I said, okay, yeah, that's fine. Um, I ate an early dinner and I went to bed because I was so tired. Um, and then at one o'clock, I woke up to a really strong contraction. And I was like, okay. Um, but I kind of went back to sleep and then I woke up again and I looked at the time and 10 minutes had passed. And so this kind of kept going on for an hour. I would wake up and go back to sleep and wake up. And finally I was awake enough that I realized there's a pattern here. Um, things are maybe happening. And I went to the bathroom and tried to lay back down. I, I lay back down for another hour and then they were like seven minutes apart and then by 3 a.m., I was like, this is not comfortable to lay down anymore. I need to get up. And I had, I was in my own room. I wanted to sleep in the birthing space. So my husband was sleeping in a different room and the kids were sleeping in another room. And, um, and so I, I got up and I just, I sat there, had my affirmations going and I was just praying over my body and my baby and, uh, just, getting my heart 
connected with the Lord, listening to worship music. It was so, so, so special, such a sacred time. So grateful that I had that time. Um, and then around five, I, um, was that I was having contractions like every four minutes apart and they were getting stronger. So I went and woke up Miles and I said, I don't know. I think maybe I'm in labor. I think maybe this is going to go somewhere this, this time. And um, he said, well, should we call the midwife? I was like, no, not yet. Um, so he came over and we had an, a vial of oil that we had prayed over the entire pregnancy. So he anointed me. He anointed the baby and he anointed uh, himself. And we just spent some time for a couple hours just together. And uh, he was like, yeah, you're in labor. Um, I'm going to call the midwife because <laughs> she was two hours away from us. Um, he was like, I just need it. We need to give her a heads up. So we called her and she talked to me on the phone and she listened to a couple contractions. And she said, oh, yeah, maybe. Um but I think that this also has a good possibility of fizzling out as the sun comes up. Um, and maybe it'll pick back up again tonight or something. She just, she was like, you're really, really chatty. I, you know, she said, eat food, take a shower, um, do some miles circuit. Um, just try to rest and take it easy today. It's like, okay, I can do that. Uh, so seven o'clock I got in the shower and instead of getting slower, things just like amped up. Um, and at 7.15, I think, or, or was it 8.15? Now I forget. It was something 15. My water broke when I was getting out of the shower. So Miles was like, okay, um, midwife, you need to be on your way. <laughs> Uh, we have broken water and she uh, sounds like she's pushing or something. Um, so I remember when my water broke that next contraction, I felt this just urge to bear down and I got really scared. I was like, there's no way that it's time for that yet. Like I just, I had it in my head that, one, it was going to be, it was going to become a lot more intense before it was time to push. And it was going to be a lot longer of a time. Like I thought maybe, you know, it was going to be like 10 hours or something. So now this has only been going on for really the most intense part had only been happening for less than an hour at that point. And so I was like, this is way too soon. Um, and so, and I felt, I, I just reached in and I was like, I'm just going to see what's going on. And I felt the top of a head and I just was like, this is not happening. And I got really fearful. And so for the next two hours, while we waited for the midwife to come, I just like panicked every contraction. I was like, no, 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 no. This is not happening. This can't like, she's not here yet. She's not here yet. I wanted my water birth and she had the tub and she wasn't there and it still needed to be set up and everything. And I was like, this is not happening. And I had forgotten about calling my sister at this point. I was, I, yep, had no thoughts of her anymore. Um, and so midwife came and I was, and I had told her I did not want to be checked, but all of a sudden I was like, you have to check me. Like, please, please, please check me. I just, I was really scared. I had a lot of the fear. I, I had that 
thought in the back of my head from when I was at the hospital and they told me your cervix is swollen and you're not going to keep dilating. And I just was like, there's no way that I'm at 10 centimeters. So I'm probably going to swell my cervix with these like urges to bear down. And my midwife was like, oh no, I can tell you're good. You just keep doing what you're doing. And I was like, no, you have to check me. And she was like, okay, once you get in the water, I'll check you if you still want to be checked. Like she was really fighting for what I had asked for, Mm -hmm. which I appreciated so much. But um, uh, when I got in the water, she checked me and she was like, yeah, you're complete. Baby is plus two. You're doing great. And so then I was able to kind of receive where my body was at. Um, I had wanted a very like serene, calm birth experience. And I was not a very calm birther. Um, and I, I felt really, um, upset and embarrassed about that for a while. I was like, I, I wanted to be like calm. I um, thought that I would be like calm and that it would be this magical, beautiful experience, which it was beautiful and magical in its own way, but I was not calm. I was very, uh, I complained a lot. I was very, um, I was very fearful. I I didn't realize how much trauma I was still holding on to. I was really afraid that I was not going to be able to do it, especially because we were at plus two for a long time. Uh, because my my bearing down and stuff was not moving her through at all. She was just kind of sitting there. And so that trauma came back up of like, here we are and, and it's not going anywhere again. Um, and so I had to work through a lot of that. Um, I wanted to birth in the water, but ended up um, having to move around. We did tons of position changes and the midwife kept telling me, reach down, feel your baby. Every time you push, like she's moving. Well, at that time we didn't know what we were having. Uh, baby's moving every time you're, you know, you push and, um, but then, you know, would slide back in, but I was only touching her head after in between contractions. So it always felt to me like nothing is happening. (laughs) Um, And we did that for a couple hours and then she told me to rest. And then I got scared that she was going to transfer me for maternal fatigue. I was like, no, this can't be happening to me. Not going to have maternal fatigue. Um, So I rested. And while I was resting, I was like, I am going to do everything she tells me to the next time we start pushing because I want to have this baby. (laughs) at home. Um, and so when we started pushing again, she told me again, like, why don't you feel while you're pushing? And so I did. And that was this light bulb moment for me. And I so wish that I would have listened to her like three hours before when she told me to do that, (laughs) because it gave me the connection that my like mind and my body needed to know like where to, to send this energy that was going through me. Um, and once I felt that I was like, I can do this. 
And so when the next contraction came, I knew where to send all of that energy and, and her head came and it stayed engaged for the first time. And then the next contraction came and she crowned and then next contraction came and her head was out. And then she did that beautiful rotation. And uh, my husband was the one that got to catch her uh, with the next contraction. And he, so he was the first person to touch her and hold her. Uh, We still didn't know at this time that it was a her. And uh, she had her um, umbilical cord around her neck three times. And he like unwound that and, and handed her to me. And I was so loud. Like looking back at my birth video, I'm like, oh my gosh, be quiet already. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, my baby, you're here. Um, <clears throat> and it was so special. I just got to hold her. I was just amazed that I had done it, that she was there. Um, my Our two children, um, Adeline and Lincoln, seven, or yeah, 10 and seven, they were there. They got to witness it and be there with me. And it was just the most beautiful, magical experience that I've ever had. It was so, so special. Um, yeah, we were just in heaven. It was like five minutes before I think Lincoln asked, uh, so is it a boy or a girl? And they were like, oh, yeah, let's check. And they were like, oh, it's a girl. Um and we had all kind of felt like it was going to be a girl. So wow. we were not surprised to have a girl. But it was awesome. It was beautiful. Completely different experience. Felt so respected and held and just um, like the midwives, they were just, they were so kind, so encouraging. They never once doubted my ability or mm. made me feel how how anything different loved I mean all of it just um, so different from what you grateful. had experienced before and as we wrap up Regina I'm curious to hear how do you feel that that has impacted your postpartum this time around if if it has yes so we um my theory had been that the demer that I was experiencing with nursing was from all the medications that I was detoxing post operation. So I was very hopeful that this time around nursing would go differently for me. Um, and also that postpartum depression would be different for me. And it has literally been a night and day difference. Like I, I felt that, um, just hormone high after delivery, I felt so, so good. Um, I felt like myself almost immediately after giving birth. Something that I want to quickly mention is that I had never seen my placenta before because of having surgeries. I had never really thought about that. Um, so this time around when, when I birthed my placenta, I felt so much grief in that moment. It was so bizarre to me and it was so unexpected, but it was this moment of all of a sudden, I am no longer my baby's only source of sustenance. Like 
Yes, I am by nursing, but like they're outside of me. Someone else can take care of them. And it was this like separation that I felt that I was not expecting at all. And I don't know if any other mothers have ever experienced that or or if you relate to that feeling at all, but it was just such an unexpected feeling for me. It was really cool too, because I think it's a very natural part of I was of going to say birth, the same thing. You know? I, I have I had never gotten to personally experience, experience that, that but I can completely and it was really understand um, where you're coming from and that makes so much sense to me and yeah that really is a beautiful thought. Yeah, so and so yeah, postpartum has been completely different uh because we did a lot of prep for it. We you know, I made sure that we had freezer meals going. I made sure that we had um all the supplements and my husband was so much more available this time around and he just he fed me so well, just kept bringing me food and and gave me space to just be in that newborn bliss for a while. Um but I mm-hmm. I have not had uh any depression at all. I didn't even have baby blues. Um, and nursing was successful. Um, I had some trouble with, with my latch, um, but I never had Deemer. Um, and so major, major difference. Very grateful that my body was allowed to go through its natural processes. And it's so beautiful to see like what difference that makes. Um, postpartum when we just kind of, you know, pull back and allow our bodies to do their thing. They're so wise, so beautiful. Wow. Regina, this has been such an incredible journey through, through your experiences. And I just feel like there's so much hope that this provides to others who perhaps have experienced that um, the first cesarean or the second cesarean, uh, that there is this opportunity to change things and your body is still capable of doing so much, you know, from the birth. Yes. And also in this postpartum experience, things can be different. So I feel like this is just such a powerful, such an impactful episode for the listeners. And I am so honored to have had you on. Thank you so much for coming on the happy home birth podcast. Thank you for having me. Wasn't that an amazing episode to end on. I love Regina and Miles's story. And as we round up, here's what's coming to mind for me. If you've experienced a traumatic birth in the past, don't feel that you have to settle for not traumatic. The opposite of a traumatic birth is not merely not traumatic, but it's ecstatic. And that's something that you can prepare for, pray for, and quite often attain. All right, my friends, what an honor, a deep, deep held honor this has been. I look forward to coming back in the future with more beautiful stories. But in the meantime, I want you to know that I am praying for you all. I'll pray that you enjoy your pregnancies, your births, your babies, your children, that you'll feel the love of the Lord covering you like a blanket, realizing that it is somehow even deeper and stronger than that insane love we feel for our spouses and for our babies. And I'll see you back here next time. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. 
Are you looking to extend the home birth support, encouragement, and education? Join us in our Facebook group, Happy Home Birth Podcast Community, and check us out on Instagram at Happy Home Birth Podcast.